Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Well, hello. Welcome to Jewel Says. Thank you for listening. If this is your first time listening, I have 10 other episodes that you might want to go back and check out. If you have something you'd like to say to me or share, I do read all my emails. You can email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. J-E-W-E-L-S says at gmail.com. Well, what a week. I hate to even think about what's been going on. Lovely people have been dying. That's not cool. COVID is being a little bitch. At least in Ontario, we're half-assed lockdown, which isn't fun. Abe was supposed to be in Las Vegas this week for a conference, and that was canceled. So he's home which is good. I think he'd rather not travel. I had a great discovery last week. I discovered a vegan sushi restaurant within walking distance from our home, which made me so happy. I volunteer at the Hot Docs Theatre on Bloor Street in Toronto. I love documentaries. I've always loved documentaries, and I always said if I had the time, I would volunteer. So we're shut down for the time being too, but when I walk to the theater, I noticed a place on Bloor Street on the south side called, well, I forget the full name, but the sign said vegan sushi, and I'm like, vegan sushi? How do you pull that off? You see, I love sushi. I'm a flexitarian, I think you would call it. I do cook vegan at home. I think it's a good thing to do. And there are a lot of people who have resolved health issues by sticking with a plant-based diet. Abe sticks with a plant-based diet. Although, if something has a small amount of egg or dairy in it, like if somebody's having a birthday and he knows there's a little bit of egg or dairy in the cake, he's not that particular about it. It's not as though it's an allergy. He's more likely to say no thank you due to the sugar content than anything. And that is why he's built like Bruce Lee. 
I do cook vegan at home, but I have no issues cooking non-vegan for guests. It doesn't bother Abe either. And occasionally, I do eat non-vegan if I'm out, which, of course, is very rarely these last two years. And I love sushi. Anytime I get sushi, I will get a vegetarian version for Abe, but it's never that good. He doesn't really like it for that reason. So I thought, whoa, vegan sushi? How do they do it? That doesn't make sense. So I made a point this week of walking down the street and giving it a try, and it was fantastic. Abe loved it. Abe has never been, even before he started eating vegan, he wasn't a fish fan. But he loved this sushi, and I also thought it was delicious. So we will definitely be going back. I really hope this restaurant doesn't shut down because of all the lockdowns. That was probably the biggest exciting news for me this week. Vegan sushi restaurant that's absolutely delicious. And I have a Fitbit update. It is not automatically registering my exercise. I tried Googling the criteria for automatic exercise detection. All I could find was how to activate it. What I couldn't find was how the device automatically recognizes that you're working out. Like, how does it know? I mean, steps, pretty obvious. That's like thump, thump, thump. I've done several dance classes. I've gone for long, brisk walks because I walk to a lot of places. Nothing. It does log steps, and it does see my elevated heart rate. I don't understand why it thinks I have never exercised. And I know you can manually track exercise, but honestly, I don't care enough to do that. It's just an observation about the auto-detect functionality. I just checked to confirm, and I had not activated auto-walk detection. I activated the auto-walk detection, and it did recognize my walk to the grocery store afterwards. But the other thing it did was it good job buddied me. I got a notification congratulating me on reaching an exercise goal with this patronizing message. Goal reached. We knew you had it in you. Ugh. Anyway, I'm happy to see the information. I just don't. I want to just look at it when I want to look at it. I have looked at it. And based on, not the exercises because it's not tracking that, but based on the number of steps alone, I am probably not on track to live to be very healthy in my old age. So this is actually turning out to be good information because I know I need to move more or Abe and the girls are looking at caring for old Julie before her time. This has turned out to be a good thing. Okay, Andrew Johnston. Andrew is a comedian who stays with us when he's in Toronto. You might remember him from my December 1st episode, Fun Friends, Andrew Johnston. Check it out if you haven't already heard it. He bought Abe and me each a baby foot foot peel plus a pedicure gift certificate. Isn't that sweet? I've now tried the foot peel, and I can report that it is very satisfying I didn't get any peel until five days. It says three to five days, I think, but it was almost the end of five days before I saw anything. But anyway, I posted before pics of my feet and a product pic on Instagram, and I got a few warnings from people telling me not to post foot pics for free and also warning me that I would get some creepy unwanted responses, which did not happen at all. 
The girls have told me about foot fetishers, fetishists, I don't know, which I just do not understand, but I'm a very boring average woman, and I do not understand, nor do I judge, any fetish, to be honest. But anyway, my feet are my best feature. We expose them in the summer. They're not a private body part, although I think we should relax a bit more about nipples. I would rather see a woman's exposed breasts than some of the men's exposed torsos I've seen. Ugh, can you hear me shudder? So, whatever, I posted the pics. And I did not get one inappropriate response, which... Should I be offended? I'm just kidding. I'm absolutely not offended. I truly did not expect anyone to respond inappropriately because I am an old woman now. And becoming invisible is one of the silver linings of aging. Now, I didn't always like being invisible. I grew up feeling invisible, unworthy, unremarkable. And there were people in my world who reinforced that. For example, I don't remember if it was third or fourth grade, but I was, it was elementary school. I would have been eight or nine. Mr. Lilo was the teacher's name. And one day he was lecturing the class about getting rowdy. This class was a group of energetic boys, shall we say. And he said, pointing to me, sitting like the good girl I was, hands folded at my desk at the front of the class, the girl in blue is good. And I absolutely cringed. Aside from feeling like an idiot for being called out, if you're a little kid and the class is acting up and laughing and having a good time, and the teacher calls you out for being the one who's not engaged in the fun, how do you think that would make a kid feel? Embarrassed? Worried I might get ridiculed later? And invisible because he didn't know my name? It was January. I remember it clearly because it had such an impact on me. I had been in that class since September. I consistently did my work. I behaved myself. I didn't rock the boat. I tried very hard to be a good little girl, and my teacher didn't even know my name in January. I wasn't someone who wanted to necessarily be invisible. I was more than a little envious of my cohorts who felt free and confident enough to just laugh and have fun, but I was way too self-conscious. Have you ever been to a yoga class or something like that where they're saying, Think back to when you felt free and relaxed and didn't have a care in the world when you were a child. I never felt like that, ever. I don't remember ever feeling that way. So I was kind of envious of people who did. And now here's my teacher. I'm doing all the right things. These other people are misbehaving. And he doesn't even know who I am. People who know me now would never consider me to be introverted, but... I was the shyest of shy children. I went to five schools for kindergarten alone because my dad, Ted, kept getting transfers with the bank. He was very successful. My first school provided a snack of milk and cookies, which I would not eat because I did not want anyone to see me eat. I recall one little girl asking me a question, and when I silently nodded in response, she pointed at me and shouted, Julie talked! 
Of course, I was too shy to try and defend myself. And my punishment was no milk and cookies at break time. And even though I never ate their stupid milk and cookies, I fought my tears of shame at the punishment and anger at the unjustness of the punishment. One of my kindergarten teachers, Miss Gibbons, I don't think she was the first one. I don't remember, actually. No, the first one was definitely I had nuns. But Miss Gibbons told me she liked my braids and asked me if I knew how to braid hair. And I remember saying to her, all I know is you parted in three. Why would I remember something like that? Because that was probably the only thing I had ever said to her. So I I have these snapshots of memory that anyone who just behaved like a normal person would never remember these things, but they stood out to me because... I was that afraid to speak to these people. I used to look at the children and envy the fun they were having, but I could not bring myself to join in. I was too shy to join in. I kept to myself. And thankfully, one of the teachers offered me plasticine, which is a a brand of modeling clay, and paints. These were things I could do on my own. I I didn't have to play with other people to do these things. So I was happy enough doing that. I would not use the washroom at school, which became a huge problem because I would often walk home with my legs crossed at lunch, and a couple of times I didn't quite make it. Even when I was a small child and operating this way, I knew it was irrational. I just couldn't bring myself to change when I was little. I knew it was irrational, but I don't know why I was so afraid of everyone and everything. Whenever I walked home cross-legged with that level of discomfort, particularly in the winter when it was very cold and you had to walk home through snow, I vowed next time I will use the school washroom. I will. I will speak to people. And I eventually improved. When I was in elementary school, I hated recess because I didn't want to go outside to play. I liked the structure. I just loved to read. I liked sitting at a desk and doing work. I made a few friends, but I did really prefer to be alone with my thoughts. And I always enjoyed observing other people. I found them fascinating. And some of the children were cruel. And a lot of people say, oh, children are cruel. Although I've witnessed it, I've never understood it because I just was not a cruel child. Even when I was very small, I couldn't understand why people would act that way. Catherine was like that too. I remember once this boy was tormenting her at gymnastics and it was parents' day and I was witnessing this and the children were doing something. They were going around in this big circle and whenever she passed by me, I was sitting on this bench And she would mouth to me, he's hitting me. Then she'd go around the circle and she'd come back. He hit me again and then again. And I finally mouthed to her, hit him back. And then the next time she came around, she said, I can't hit another person. I think she was only about five or six. And she wouldn't even hit someone to defend herself. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have either. One of the things I remember at my school A lot of the children would pass around fleas. They'd chase each other at recess, and they'd say, you've got fleas, and they would name someone, like, you've got Julie fleas, or you've got Brenda fleas, the name of whoever the targeted outcast for the day was. 
And I would watch horrified and quietly say something kind to the person being tormented. I wouldn't say I befriended them. As horrified as I felt at this behavior, I certainly didn't have the courage to risk becoming the target. I was really good at staying under the radar because, for whatever reason, I never became the target. Maybe being a tiny, quiet, blonde girl was already working to my advantage, even if I didn't know it at the time. Or it could have been my older siblings. And in class, I always knew the answers to questions, but I only put my hand up if no one else did. Part of our grade was based on participation, so I had to participate sometimes. I remember the first, I'll call it a semester, but the first report cycle of the seventh grade when I was 12. I got a mark of 76% in science. I was absolutely sick with shock and horror. I remember it, again, because it had such a powerful impact on me. All my grades at that age were in the 90s, except phys ed and art. Those classes were letter-graded. And I never got an A in phys ed. I didn't expect to. But I could not believe it. 76? I knew that all my tests and assignments were in the high 90s, if not 100%. So it just didn't make sense. My mother made an appointment with the teacher, Mr. Glue. He reviewed his log of my grades, revised my mark accordingly, and told my mother that he had misjudged me. Misjudged me. So what was he doing? Did he just sit down one night, look at the report cards, and go, ah, I don't know who she is, I'll just give her 76, without even looking at the grades? Aren't you a science teacher? Doesn't that mean by definition you rely on the data? Isn't that the whole point? What an asshat. But I did learn something from that. Even though I didn't say a lot then, I was thinking about things all the time. This reinforced for me that sitting quietly in class, not rocking the boat, keeping my thoughts to myself was working against me. I had to find the courage to speak up because being invisible not only meant being ignored, it could mean being misjudged. And you know, we can all tell ourselves we need to change, but we also understand that it's easier said than done. I was a kid. I wasn't just introverted. I was dysfunctionally, frightfully, painfully shy. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The thing that saved me was that I did enjoy my own company. Otherwise, I would have been very unhappy. 
I was busy when I was alone in my room. I loved reading, sewing, baking, making crafts, candles, listening to music, and I spent a lot of time enjoying vivid fantasies of being funny, beautiful, admired, athletic, a singer or a dancer. I pictured myself on stage, in movies, everything I wasn't. I had friends, but they were few and they were close. I wasn't the kind of person who cared to have a huge group of friends. And if I was a pariah, I wasn't aware of it. People pretty much ignored me. I really, really was just sort of invisible. Now, of course, my self-consciousness worsened as the teen years started because, of course, at that age, you want to fit in. And now people started thinking I was a snob and maybe even worse, a browner because I got good grades and I was not the type of kid to cause trouble. I remember going to parties, not saying much to anyone, and feeling as though I was an actual fly on the wall observing I wasn't a part of it. I just watched everyone else dance and laugh and have fun and get hammered. Sometimes I would have a few drinks, too. I don't recall getting super hammered much until after I was 16 anyway, but I would think of funny things to say and not say them. And I was raised in a family where sarcasm and put-downs were the norm. A high-quality put-down was highly valued. So I came up with plenty of things I thought of but just didn't say. I vowed to try saying things that came into my head, to try it. I actually told myself, listen, that would have been funny. Next time you think of something like that, you're going to just say it. You're going to just say it. And it helped because the more I told myself that and the more I actually said the things I was thinking, the more I opened up. People did think I was kind of funny in a bitchy sort of way. And that was great. I started brazenly speaking up in class. It really did build my confidence. Although sometimes I was a little inappropriate. One example, we were discussing equality in my 11th grade English class. And the teacher, he was arguing that we are not all born equal. He may or may not have actually believed that. He could have just been playing devil's advocate to get this discussion going. And, of course, I was arguing that equal and the same are two different things. And by now, I was fully loud and proud with my opinions, good, bad, and ugly. We are all born equal, I insisted. We all have something going for us. He said, do you honestly think you're as intelligent as Einstein? To which the brazen new me responded, No, but maybe I have something Einstein didn't have. Then the class laughed, and he laughed and agreed that I may have a point. But I had taken opinionated Julie a little bit too far. A flirtatious tone with a teacher? Mm. Because that often worked for me, I flagrantly threw it around without consideration for the audience, necessarily. Some people don't appreciate sarcasm, for example. You need to be careful about who you use that on because I genuinely didn't want to hurt anyone. I embarrassed my mom a few times. I certainly embarrassed myself, but at least I wasn't as invisible as I used to be. 
I kind of considered myself one of the boys, especially when I started working in IT, which certainly was a very male-dominated environment. And part of the reason I liked that was because boys seemed to get away with saying all kinds of controversial, spicy things, and I wanted to be a part of that. I sometimes said some really terrible things in my youth that I would absolutely cringe at today. Even though I genuinely thought I was being funny, I sometimes came off as a mean little prick. A few times I almost got myself beaten up. One night, a friend had driven me to the local shop to pick up a loaf of bread for my mom. He dropped me off nearby and drove around rather than parking. A group of five or six older teen boys was hanging around the entrance to the shop. I certainly knew enough to feel a little bit of trepidation at walking that gauntlet, but I headed to the shop And one of them called out, hey, you want to get lucky? And I ignored him, just strolled by, head high, and went inside. When I came out with my bag, they all thought they'd be hilarious and join in the taunts. Want to get lucky, baby? Ooh, ooh, want to get lucky? Like all of them. I saw my friend's car approach, and I said, I wouldn't call any of you lucky as I walked by them, still not even glancing their way. What did you say? You little bitch. You wouldn't say that if you had a six-inch cock in your mouth. And without missing a beat, I smiled sweetly as I looked back and said, I seriously doubt if any one of you could show me a six-inch cock. And with that, I jumped into the passenger seat, and we sped off. Now that was dumb, because I could have gotten hurt, I could have gotten my friend into a fight. What if the car door had been locked and I was a bit late getting in? But at the time, it just felt so good to say that to those people. Thank God we didn't have social media. When people jump all over someone for saying or doing the wrong thing, I often defend them, particularly if they're very young and very famous. How many of us can even begin to imagine what it would be like being 16 or 17 years old in the public eye, talked about, scrutinized, chased? We just saw the Britney Spears documentary the other day. Uh, Social media wasn't even ubiquitous then. And my God, what that poor girl went through. And yes, I say girl because she was going through it before she was a woman. I just can't imagine. And then you add to that millions of dollars at your disposal and an entourage of sycophants. Most grown-ass adults can't handle that and remain grounded and decent. And when we're young, unfamous, regular people are bad enough. You name me a person who never went through a stage where they acted like an asshole, and I'll name you someone you didn't know very well at that age. Speaking my mind, albeit my often ignorant mind, went a long way toward me feeling less invisible. I recommend trying it and learning when to shut up. Now, there are people who are happily introverted, who don't feel invisible, and that's okay. As I told that grade 11 teacher, we are all born equal and each of us has value. I don't think my shyness was necessarily innate, but more about feeling self-conscious and worthless. And that's not the same thing as being inherently introverted, I don't think. 
One thing I'm not proud of is that I inadvertently became a bit of a man lover. I define man lover not as someone who loves men. I love men. But a man lover to me is someone who dismisses and ignores women in favor of men. Someone who says they just get along with men better than women. You know, you know the type. The person who's all, <laughs> oh, wow, charming and gregarious when there are men in the room. But as soon as it's an all-female group, the sparkling personality shuts down. You know what I mean. That. The male man lover looks past women with a bored expression on his face. And he doesn't listen when women speak. But he lights up with a smile and eye contact if a young, pretty woman is around. I used to be a young, pretty woman. But because I grew up feeling invisible and unworthy, I always felt inside invisible and definitely unworthy, even after I had started opening up and becoming much more socially relaxed. At some point in my teens, it, it was gradual, men started to listen to me, smile at me, make eye contact, and I attributed this to my newfound caustic wit. But as my old science teacher, Mr. Glue, probably wouldn't fucking understand, correlation is not causation. I still had and loved female friends, but... I did think for a few years that I got along with men better than women. At parties, sometimes the girlfriends and wives would give me the side eye as I laughed and joked with the men. I viewed myself as one of the boys. Then when I was expecting Catherine at 22, she was born when I was 23, I noticed that the women were just a little friendlier and the men less friendly. One of my husband's friend's wives commented to my mother at my baby shower, You know, Julie used to be such a bitch. To which my mother responded, No, she was never actually a bitch. You were the bitches to her. My mother wasn't wrong. I was not overtly bitchy to these ladies, but I can't understand, looking back, why they felt that way about me because while I perceived myself as one of the boys, they thought I was flirting with their husbands. What a revelation. <laughs> I was not interested in their husbands. I definitely did not think I was flirting with their husbands. I can understand why they thought so. But I learned something, and that's the important part, learning and growing. Since I've learned this, I always make a point of engaging the women in the room. And when you do that, they respond in kind. I love people, men and women and anything in between. And I honestly don't give a shit if men approve of me at all. I've gotten to know some incredibly fascinating, fabulous women, but I suspect that I might have missed out on those opportunities if I had not made the effort. If I had just carried on the way I was, I would have just thought men were friendlier. And we're so often not self-aware. I've always said that I would love to step outside myself and watch in the third person to understand how I was perceived by others, not out of a desire to change to meet anyone else's expectations, but 
just out of curiosity because I enjoy observing people so much. I enjoy drawing people. I enjoy reading about different people. I enjoy talking to people who are wildly different from who I am. I just think people are fascinating. And I only know myself from the inside. I just think it would be interesting to see what other people see. I think it might be for all of us. I genuinely thought that men liked me because I was one of the boys, but I've become invisible again to men. I have realized that the men didn't necessarily view me as one of the boys. I've worked in a male-dominated field for so long, I, I had no idea. I didn't notice that men looked at me when they walked by me until they didn't. I honestly didn't notice. Here's an example of what happens now. Last spring, a man approached me from behind and said, Hi, what are you up to today? And I could see his expression change when he got close enough to see my face as I turned to respond. I kind of laughed inside and said, Just running some errands. His response? Have a nice day. Completely different tone, because now he realized he was speaking to his mom. This shift feels a little bit sad in a way, because the way people react to you does become part of your identity, so it does feel strange when it changes. Even if you didn't notice it, when things change, that's when you notice. But the silver lining is so worth it. I can enjoy my own company in public without being interrogated about why I'm alone. I can sit in a restaurant or a bar and read or just chat to the bartender without being bothered. No one ever asks me where my wedding ring is. No one ever tries to grope me. I feel quite safe walking anywhere in my neighborhood alone at any time of day or night. Obviously, I don't believe that I'm safe from a man with violent intent. I'm talking about your run-of-the-mill. I get a lot more respect at work. People listen to me with respect in meetings. Nobody mansplains. No one has ever sent me a dick pic, because that didn't exist when I was young. And I can post pictures of my feet without being harassed. I think it's pretty nice to be a little bit invisible after all. Thank you for listening. Don't be invisible to me. Let me know what you think. You can message me, rate, review, or email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. And I hope nobody we love dies this week. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.